This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. It is 2024 and Nora's on the show. And I want to start by saying Happy New Year, Nora. Great Happy to see you. Happy New Year, Tate. It's really good to I see you. I can't believe too. it. We made it to the new year. We made it to 2024. And we got a lot of NFL to talk about. And as you know, I've done this for quite some time. We start with the Ringer's power rankings. And we got it right here in front of us. And our Baltimore Ravens are at number one this week. We got the 49ers at number two, the Bills at number three, the Cowboys at number four, and the Dolphins at number five. Let's just start with our Ravens. How are we feeling about Baltimore right now? Does it feel like a Super Bowl is on the horizon, Nora? Do you believe? Are are you buying into the hype of Baltimore right now? I believe. I'm so Mm. totally bought in. I wrote a story that's up on the website right now that was like, It was about Lamar winning MVP, basically, and it was the most walking underneath a ladder, like not knocking on wood, just just absolutely counting chickens before they have hatched story. And I'm not even nervous about it. I, like at yeah, all. I love this team. Is just I love the headline. Lamar Jackson looks like the MVP. The rest of the NFL looks like fools. And uh, you reminded all of us that Lamar Jackson was once once available. I mean, th- there were teams that had the opportunity to go out Indeed. and get Lamar Jackson, and they decided against it. And now he is once again the MVP. So uh, there's egg it was on their a face. Really um, good excuse to just go back through all of the things that various coaches and owners and GMs said about why they didn't want. Lamar Jackson, including actually a recent report from Adam Schefter that uh, I really enjoyed because it claimed that the Panthers and the Raiders were the two Mm. teams that got closest to engaging with Lamar and his people and maybe trying to make an offer. Now, it didn't say that anybody got particularly close at all, but the reason given for why they didn't go further was concern over his injury history, which I just found really amusing because after exercising that, you know, deep caution, uh, the Raiders went and signed Jimmy Garoppolo and the Panthers Mm. drafted a 5'10", 200 pound quarterback. So I I just... who was compared to Steph Curry and no other football player. So, I mean, yeah. yeah they, they, I, I just these, have some skepticism that mm-hmm. concern over injuries was really the sole driving factor in uh, what made them a little bit hesitant to go get Lamar. But it's to the Ravens' benefit, our Ravens. It's just, I just think the last couple of games that they've had, obviously, huge season-defining wins huge win against the Dolphins and then obviously a statement game against the 49ers. But what we've seen is just the number of different ways that this offense in particular can, can stress an opposing defense. I just loved against the Dolphins, you know, it was close for a little while, but then they just, they went out and they ran the ball when they needed to, but they also can uncork those, you know, 75 yard touchdown, 80 yard touchdown, just those absolutely explosive plays in the passing game. And I I love how they're able to do that, how they're able to just prove all the different little ways that they can stress you. So 
like what I see. I like what I see, too. And I like the protection that Lamar has right now. When Lamar has protection, he is very, very hard to deal with, as we've seen over the past few weeks. And uh, trying to figure out and forecast what team would give them the most trouble. Obviously, they're the one seed in the AFC. They've celebrated that. Everything runs through Baltimore in the AFC. I saw Bill Simmons was pointing out the Browns might be a team that could come in there and give them some trouble with Joe Flacco returning to Baltimore. That Browns defense has some speed. They obviously have a pass rush with Miles Garrett. Um, is there a team that you highlight maybe the Buffalo Bills who's number three on the power rankings that could come to Baltimore and give them trouble is there is there a team that you're worried about in the AFC for this team yeah the Bills on the right day for sure uh and I think the Bills are look they should be capable of more offensively than the Joe Flacco Browns but I do think there's something to be said for the fact that that Cleveland defense is maybe the the best in the league if not top three so I I think there's something to be said for an opponent that can just shut him down or come closest to than a lot of teams that that we've seen around the league this year it's hard to find the team right because Mm. every huge test the Ravens have just totally passed but I think the Browns on a really wacky day. I can see it. And then the bills just with Josh Allen. I don't think you can count them out Uh, defensively. I think it's a little bit more challenging, but other than that, I I struggle to come up with the teams, right? Because Mm -hmm. we said, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be San Francisco. San Francisco did not do it. And they did not come particularly close. And then the dolphins, right. Felt like maybe they could keep up offensively, not even close. And that defense, which had hadn't allowed 30 points since October, they scored 50 on him. So I, I really am feeling very confident about this team and you can come up with the scenarios, but I, I just, I don't, it would take something fluky and weird and I'm not going to rule that out, but I'm also not going to tell you that there's a team that I think matches up particularly well against them because I just don't, don't really think that team exists. And I think Baltimore is focused on the playoffs. They know that a lot of people have made the comments about them being a regular season team, Lamar being a regular season quarterback. So I think that they're going to be locked in and ready to go. Let's look at some of the uh, biggest games of the week in week 18. We obviously have the number three team in the power rankings, the Buffalo Bills, taking the number five team, the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins minus three in this game. This is on Sunday Night Football. Battle to win the AFC East. Um, Which team wins this game? And uh, which team do you think, Nora, is going to end up winning this division uh, on Sunday night? Well, it's this is I know it's a loaded question. Well, it's a super (laughs) loaded question, right? Because the winner of this team, the winner of this game is going to end up the number two seed. They're going to play probably the second place AFC South team in the first round of the playoffs at home. And then the loser of this game is probably going to wind up the number six seed and they're going to play the Chiefs on the road. So you're talking with Taylor about, Swift there. Yeah. I mean, it's scary, right? You go from, I don't know, let's call it, let's call it the Colts or something at home. You're feeling pretty good about that game versus traveling on the road to face Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I really don't like this Chiefs team. I, I don't like their wide receiver core. I do not believe that they can win the Super Bowl. That doesn't matter. That's still scary, scary, scary. So the stakes are incredibly high here. I do like the Bills. Uh, I I think the Dolphins defensively had done a lot. But now when you're talking about losing Bradley Chubb to this team that already lost Jalen Phillips, 
that's dealt with some injuries at, at corner. They're without Xavier Howard. I, I think the dam is maybe breaking there. And that had been the side of the ball that had been more impressive over the last month plus for Miami. So I think in particular against this Bills team that tends to play them defensively pretty well. And I think that matters a lot with Miami just because the team Mm -hmm. speed and the pace at which Tua gets rid of the ball is unique in a way that that is especially tough if it's unfamiliar. But for my uh for uh Buffalo, they know what it feels like to play this team and I think that's a really really valuable tool against Miami. So I would give the the Bills an edge here and if that ends up being the case, whatever ends up being the case, it's really gonna gonna make a difference in terms of how the winner here feels going into the playoffs versus the, how the loser feels going to play the chiefs. Yeah, exactly. We love a game with stakes in week uh, 18. That's always good to see. We got another one in the NFC South. We got the Falcons taking on the saints saints minus three in this game. Uh, I'll ask you a simple question. Uh, who's got more at stake in this game? Is it Arthur Smith or is it Derek Carr? Because uh, Arthur Smith, there's been some reports that maybe he's not going to be the guy of the future. Derek Carr, obviously considered the best quarterback quote unquote in this division should win this division. So which, which one has most pressure this week on Sunday? So I, I think it's Arthur Smith. Just mm-hmm, because Derek too. Carr is probably going to get another opportunity no matter what. Whereas Arthur Smith, I really the the job there is on the line for sure. Because if they don't win, and I think, you know, it'll go down as a season in which they had the most talent and just did very little with it. And then the defense had looked good at, at various points of the year, but they ended up with so little to show for it. I think he's they, they're going to ask themselves pretty long, hard questions about him running that team. I think he's a good, he's got good ideas about offense, but if you have a guy who just doesn't want to run a traditional system, you have to have the results to show for it. Because at a certain point, if, if you're Arthur blank, you're just going to say, I'm sorry, but if you can't win on Sundays, if you can't get a team that has a lot of talent into the playoffs, in a weak division, I need to go get someone who is not going to try to be so cheeky with it and do everything so differently. I'm not going to try to get someone who is swimming against the current of the NFL. Uh, so I, I, I think it's I think it's good old Artie Smith. Yeah, and Desmond Ritter famously said, "quote I'm not leaving until I get a Super Bowl." So, um, you know, all the Falcons fans out there, their fingers that crossed threat. right now to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very, very veiled threat there. Uh, maybe not even veiled. Um, let's talk about another matchup. We got the Steelers minus four taking on the Ravens. Um, this is one of my favorite conversations we have at this time of the year: rest versus rust. Everybody, you know, argues one way or the other, and regardless of you know what happens. You know, then people want to argue the other side of that situation. Um, where do you stand on rest versus rust? Should the Ravens rest in this game? Or are we worried that they're going to, you know, open the, the playoffs and not look great? And everyone's going to say, why did they rest their guys? Now they're rusty. Like, where do we stand on this? Rest. Give me some Tyler rest. Huntley. Mm-hmm. Lamar, sit. Relax. This is Take a team. A what has gotten in this team's way? more than anything else historically. And I include, I include the Greg Roman offense. I include a lack of investment at wide receiver. I include all of the things that we've been so happy to see change this year. None of them have hurt the Ravens more than injuries. Mm. Do not 
I do not want to see valuable Ravens players in a meaningless game just because, oh, it's the Steelers, oh, rivalry. Who cares? Yeah, Roquan take Smith, take a seat. Marlon Humphrey, take a seat. I think, by the way, I'm getting Everybody. all worked up about this. I think they're going to do it. I think that I think that's fully the plan. <laughs> but, I, yeah, no, I don't want to see – I do not want to see meaningful Ravens playing in this game. Yeah, and we got Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett. Uh, you know, Kenny Pickett apparently didn't want to back up Mason Rudolph, so there's some more drama there uh, that you can keep an eye on. So as much as there's not really stakes in this one, there are some stakes as far as the future of the quarterback position there. Should be a fun weekend of football. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to figure out which, conti- which contender needs Dalvin Cook, and we're going to talk about Matt Patricia even more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Nora, and we're talking NFL headlines. Why haven't the Eagles fired Matt Patricia yet? He got the pencil back in his ear. He was supposed to be the savior for this Eagles defense. Obviously, that has not been the case. Kyler Murray uh, allegedly earned the job in Arizona for the future. At least that's what his head coach is saying after that win in Philadelphia. What, What are our thoughts on the Eagles defense and Matt Patricia specifically as we move into the playoffs? I mean, my thoughts on the Eagles defense... This is rock bottom, man. I think Tate, we talked (laughs) a couple weeks ago about how the only opportunity they had to salvage the defense towards the end of the season would be to find something from that Mm. pass rush because the linebackers are cooked. The secondary's cooked. It's a personnel problem. There's no help coming through that door. The only chance I felt the Eagles had was to find more from their defensive line, which still has some big names and big investment and potential impact players there, but just has not been able to sack quarterbacks or create pressure in the latter half of this season. And that was what was so striking against the Cardinals and against Kyler. And his mobility obviously changes that calculus. But They sacked him once and they just could not get pressure on him. And when that's happening, there's just nothing that the back end of that defense is going to be able to give to hold up. So uh, I don't, I mean, I'm worried that, you know, the Eagles, if they lose in week 18 or if the Cowboys win and end up clinching that division, the Eagles are probably looking at facing the NFC South winner. And so then what you get, blown apart by Baker Mayfield. I mean, that sounds a a lot like a Matt Patricia outcome to me, unfortunately. I think it was always a mistake to elevate him just because it seemed like such a panic move within a situation where the problems were personnel-based. They they really weren't in coaching. That's not to say that I think Sean Desai was doing a, a perfect job, but there was no evidence that, you know, pulling the Matt Patricia lever was going to fix their problems. And we now have a lot of evidence that it quite possibly made them worse. Um, I don't really know. I don't know why they hired him in the first place. I don't know why they elevated him. So if you ask me why he's still around, it it beats me, Tate. It it really does. (laughs) 
I, I think that's a very fair point. I think it's confused a lot of people, uh, but it was good to see the pencil back on the sideline. Let's do coach of the year quickly. The odds right now, Kevin Stefanski with the Cleveland Browns. He is the heavy favorite, minus 950. D'Amico Ryan's at plus 900. Um, Dan Campbell was the favorite for quite some time. Now he's all the way back at plus 1900. You mentioned Mike Tomlin a couple of weeks ago. He he is going to have a winning record or above 500 record again. He's plus 20,000 right now. How do we feel about Kevin Stefanski being the coach of the year again in the NFL? I mean, fine, but you mentioned all those da- names, and what about Sean McVay? I mean, I mm. think they need to do, like, the ending of, you know, the Mean Girls remake is coming out this month, I think. I think they need yeah. to do the ending where you just chip off a little bit of the trophy and give it to everybody because, they're, honestly, the coaching's been good. Not, not everywhere, but there are a lot of deserving coaches, I think, this year, I, I am sort of partial to the job that Sean McVay has done just because that team was totally left for dead in the offseason and they've clinched a playoff spot going into week 18. I think that's pretty impressive. The what Stefanski's done with the Browns, considering where they were in the quarterback situation midway through the year is really impressive. I do think that that defense is so good that I, I don't know. I lean towards McVay, but. You could convince me with a lot of those guys. I, I just think there are a lot of deserving candidates. I mean, there was week two, week three of this season, Nora, around here in Los Angeles, where people were saying this was going to be Sean McVay's last year. He doesn't want to coach anymore. He doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. And now he obviously is going to be back next season. They're going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. And they got Cooper Cup. They got Puka Nakua. They got a running back in Kyron Williams, who's a legit running back. Um, they, they have a they have a team to watch out for. So shout out to Sean McVay. I think that's a great point. You mentioned and the Cleveland need. defense, right? Yeah, right. Oh, really yeah, well. less need. Yeah, did a great job. Um, defensive player of the year. Uh, you mentioned the defense for Cleveland. Right now, the favorite is Miles Garrett at minus 220. Micah Parsons right behind him at plus 270. Then TJ Watt at plus 470. Miles um, Garrett looking like he's going to be defensive player of the year. So Cleveland could have the coach of the year and the defensive player of the year, and they could be going to play potentially the MVP and Lamar Jackson. Talk about some storylines. That could be fun, Nora. You know, I used to vote for Miles Garrett or to predict. Miles Garrett as defensive player of the year, like every year, because he always <laughs> had like just such a good statistical case for it. And then he hadn't won it. And I was always just like, all right, something weird always happens to Miles Garrett, but I'm just going to keep doing this until he wins. And then this year I picked Nick Bosa mm-hmm. preseason. And I just, I just, I don't know why. I don't know why I make these rules for myself and then throw them out the window because it always comes back to, to bite. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I hate to see that, but that's kind of how it always goes. I feel like every time I predict anything, I have inevitably cursed what is actually going to happen. This happened to me with the NCAA tournament last year, Arizona. I watched them demolish great teams all season long. And then, you know, going in the tournament, I'm like, I love Arizona. Bill Simmons comes up to me and goes, Princeton's a bad matchup for them. And they lose to Princeton at 215 loss, Nora. So I, I feel your pain. I know how it goes. Um, but shout out to Miles Garrett, minus 220, defensive player of the year. We love to also see shout that. Out We're going to take Princeton. A- yeah, shout out to Princeton. I was uh, I was know, on the other really side s- of that matchup, unfortunately. Uh, or f- well, well, congratulations. Fortunately for me, not not for you, but <laughs> yeah, not for me. Shout out to the Tigers. Uh, shout out to Mitch Henderson, great coach. Loved him. Came on my podcast. Great guy. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, Nora, we're gonna have a real conversation about the owner of the Carolina Panthers, David Tepper. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Nora. And Nora, you know what we do here in the C Block. We bring you on and we say there's a ridiculous story happening in the NFL. Please make sense of this. Please debunk what is actually happening here. And um, this week there is a big story because Tepper's tantrum is what we're calling it. David Tepper, the owner of the uh, Carolina Panthers, threw a drink at a fan in Jacksonville. He then waited um, 48 hours plus to put out an apology, a PR apology, where he really didn't do much of an apology, but now he's getting a $300,000 fine for a man worth $20 billion. I think that he'll be okay with that. What are our thoughts on the tantrum itself? And then we can talk about the, the, the fine. So what were your thoughts when you saw the video of him throwing the drink? Like shock. I mean, dude, yeah. control yourself. Like, like come it's on. Just, it's just yeah, it's, unbelievable. It's a come on, man. That with everything that this man has accomplished in his life, he he, he just does not have that that modicum of self-control. Uh, the fine, uh, according to Pro Football Talk, who kindly did the math, equates to 0.00146% of his entire net worth. Uh, they gave the context that for someone worth a million dollars, David Tapper obviously has much more than that, uh, mm-hmm. It is the equivalent of finding that person fourteen bucks. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how I mean, uh, the how the, the money is uh, the money is ridiculous. I feel like if you give him a punishment, right, like a, a more harsh punishment is maybe ban him from a game, right? Yeah. Maybe suspend him from being able to attend yeah. a game. I feel like that would actually affect him a whole lot more than saying, hey, write us a check for $300,000. And if, even if you are just going to find him for, you know, for cash, maybe say we need a million dollars, right? Let's let's go ahead and, and get something back for this. I mean, it just feels like the NFL kind of whiffed on this whole thing. And there should have been some sort of... Um, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't even seem like he's upset about it. He's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It happened. I mean, <laughs> mo- let's move d- on. Like, you can't. It's not like he gave someone the finger, right? Like, mm-hmm. he poured liquid on someone. That's aw- like, it's just like an awful thing to do to just invade someone's physical space like that. It's just really embarrassing. And I'm not really surprised that. There wasn't any more significant punishment or any real punishment because this was not a real punishment. But it does mean, and I think Tepper was already quickly on his way, but a thing that I've heard commented a lot this week is that he's very quickly becoming the new Daniel Snyder. And look, obviously, Daniel Snyder promoted and allowed a rampant culture of sexual harassment, and that is horrible on a scale that... I don't know. I suppose chucking a drink at someone, it's just apples and oranges and running a Mm -hmm. team badly and firing a lot of coaches. Like that's a different level of monstrosity, obviously. So I don't want to do a false equivalence there, but I do think like the shoe fits a little bit just in terms of the guy who fans are looking at as, Oh my gosh, he's the most hateable owner. I mean, I think that's the Dan Snyder you know, comp like he, he just generally like from every fan base, if you're like, what owner is very hateable? They're like, yeah, the guy that throws drinks on the road, well, and you just know, and who battling even, and right. can't get out of his own way is vindictive and petty and paranoid. And it just feels like, oh, my gosh, he's going to own the team forever if he wants to. <laughs> And if he's such an impediment, like, what are they going to do? I'm sorry, Tate. I know this took such a turn. 
<laughs> well, Cam Newton wants to be the team president, so maybe there's hope in the future. Uh, well, yeah, but Cam <laughs> Newton was posting stuff like, David Tepper, you got caught, bro. Like, And if, yeah. he, if Tepper sees that, because that's the thing that it seems mm-hmm. like is really getting to him, is that it's very obvious he reads. It's very mm-hmm. obvious he reads the news. It's very obvious he listens to what's being said on, on Sports Talk Radio. That's that's bad news bears. You don't want your owner like reading the local columnist and being like, he said, what about me? Like we got to call him and we got to correct everything. It's just, it's not a good sign. And it seems like, yes, the, the losing is obviously very bad. The situation with Bryce Young is obviously very bad, but my read on what's pissing David Tepper off is everybody's talking about how bad of a job he's doing. And that should be scary. Well, I have to point out, just so David Tepper doesn't get mad at me, he did bring a Beyonce concert um, to Charlotte, North Carolina. That is something that he wants to hang his hat on. Um, he brought Beyonce he uh, to Bank of America Stadium. So congratulations. He did do that. I've never um, brought Beyonce the... anywhere, honestly. That and is true. I wish I, mean, I, 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 wish I, I could I, say that I had. <laughs> I like that that's what he like. He always brings back. He's like, you never had Beyonce in this arena before me. Um, so shout it's out like, to David Tepper for making that good... possible. It's a good, it's not a burn, but like, it's a good comeback. If I could say you never had Beyonce without me, I would say it all the time. Right. You would be like, Nora, you forgot to get milk at the grocery store. And I would be like, you never had Beyonce. Not without me. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone would be like, great point, Nora. Uh, One last thing on this. Do you think the fan will sue him? Do you think that there's more to this saga? Like, is there going to be more follow up here where like the Jacksonville fan takes him to court? Because we could get like a Gwyneth Paltrow, like we're in court with David Tepper kind of situation here, which would be great. What does he say? What's his I lost half a day of skiing? I I lost half a day of like yelling at my scouts. Yes, he lost something. If David Tepper (laughs) threw a substance on me, I would be. I would be speaking to some attorneys. <laughs> yeah, I would call a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that there is legal recourse to be had there. Um, who knows what he was drinking in that cup? A lot of people are saying Pinot Grigio, but if you throw anything on me, any liquid of, of any sort, then I'm going to be upset about it. I don't care if it's Coca-Cola. Um, so shout out to the whole situation. Shout out to the Tepper Tantrum. Um, shout out to all the Panthers fans that are going through this. This is uh, not a fun time, to say the least. But most importantly, shout out to you, Nora, because you're doing great work. And where can we find all your work here at The Ringer? TheRinger.com, The Ringer NFL Show, every single album. I love it. I love it. And uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Happy 2024 again. Um, coming up, we got hoops. We're talking NBA with Michael Pina. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Thanks, Tate. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. Joining us now, you know him from TheRinger.com. He is the great Michael Pina. Michael, great to see you, man. Great to see you, Tate. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and uh, we got a lot of NBA stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the team that everybody wants to talk about. That, of course, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I'll ask you a simple question, because it seems like a question I see everywhere. Um, is it too soon to declare the Thunder an actual contender, uh, Michael Pina? How, how do you feel about that reality? Is that, Are we here now? Are they actually a contender? Well, you call it a simple question. I I don't think it's very very simple. Um, I've been. I mean, they have the profile of a contender, right? Mm. Like they're third in net rating, they're sixth in defense, they're fifth in offense, they're 
first in turnover rate offensively and defensively, which is wild. That is um, wild. Shea Gilgis Alexander is this irrepressible MVP candidate who's averaging like 31, 6 and 6, and leads the league in steals. And just absolutely incredible. And. His supporting cast, like everyone can shoot threes except Josh Giddy. Um, <laughs> everyone on his team is basically a competent to really good on and off ball defender. So, like all the ingredients are there, and they've they've beaten some of the best teams in the league, the Celtics, the Nuggets, a couple times. Um, they're very good on both ends of the ball, so they have the profile. And then the way I look at it, though, like they're the youngest team in the league. Um, they are really small they have basically no experience in the playoffs except for Shea and I just historically it's just really difficult to go from no one on our team really in our rotation has stepped foot in a playoff series to we're going to win four straight rounds against the best of the best um, and make you know the playoffs are just a completely different beast than the regular season where you're making nightly adjustments and um uh, just adapting to the rhythm and the flow of going up against the same opponent over and over again, and um, teams are playing their their best players more minutes, et cetera. So it's just it's it, it it's really hard for me to just say that this team is a contender, despite how great they've looked through the first thirty thirty five games of this season. So I'd have to say no, not yet, mm. um, and I don't think that that's like a sexy answer, but. <laughs> They kind of remind me, Tate, honestly, of the Memphis Grizzlies from two years ago. Right. A team that won 56 games, was super young. They get to the playoffs. um, They beat the Minnesota Timberwolves in round one, but they really struggled in that series. And then they lose in round two. And so, and then everything has kind of fallen apart in Memphis since. So, like, (laughs) it's just really difficult to get to the playoffs and, and win um four straight series it's just especially for a team that has such little experience yeah that's a great point and it's hard to uh make that leap and like you said historically we haven't seen a team be able to make that leap we have seen a lot of people try to point out that this is the time they have all these picks they have all this young talent maybe they upgrade maybe they make a trade do you think that they have to make a trade because i've seen a lot of people debate this fact do, do the thunder have to go out and get some guy to take them to that next level or do they have the guys already in-house I for, Well, I think it's a, a moot question because Sam Presti has said multiple times, and I believe him, that he's going to be patient and they're mm. not going to be making any big significant trades before he sees what this group can do and how they'll perform in a playoff series. So he's not going to give up on Josh Giddy, who has struggled at times this season, um, in a exchange him in a deal for a star an established star he's not gonna i mean you wouldn't even trade obviously jalen williams or chet holmgren um but i don't think he's going to move on from the war chest of draft picks that he has going forward uh until he sees i mean the other argument for like why you wouldn't add a big piece or or um disrupt what you have is like the chemistry on this team is tremendous yeah they seem to like each other yeah, like so, you you can kind of theoretically name a few star players out there who would come in and be, you know, a good fit on the court. One would assume, but you don't know for sure. And if you do a trade that kind of accelerates this process and it doesn't work out, and you've given up a bunch of your draft equity, uh, that's a 
catastrophic mistake potentially. So I think that they can afford to be patient. Everyone is really young on this team and no one is like butting up against signing a supermax and leaving in free agency right now. So I think patience is on their side. And I think Presti is right to just wait this out. I, I will say really quick, like, if you want to add a minor piece, like add another big who can rebound, that's probably like that wouldn't hurt you if you're in a playoff series against the Denver Nuggets and you don't yeah, have going against Jokic, can, you need another big you need. Yeah, just some bench depth would probably be the best thing they could do. 100%. So I don't think you need a star. Um, but, you know, I wrote an article a little bit while ago where I uh, said that Andre Drummond, someone like that, would be an mm. okay fit where you don't really give up anything valuable to get him. Um, Andre Drummond since then is averaging like 35 rebounds a game. So I just feel like that would be the type of move that Sam Presti should make as opposed to um, going after an established all-star. Yeah, you preach patience. We saw patience the other night from everybody watching the game as the refs you know, struggle with the Jalen Williams situation with two guys with the same name and figuring out who they are. So the Thunder have had a lot of stories this year. Even Chet was asked the other day um, if he's made some noise in this league. He's like, I haven't proven shit yet. Uh, he's only played 30 games. So they're a very young team. There's a lot to figure out uh, with the Thunder right now. I want to talk about a piece you wrote on the Ringer this week. Uh, eight players who are leveling up this season. You got De'Aaron Fox, Duncan Robinson, Dylan Brooks, Anthony Simons, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Kobe White, and Pat Williams. Of those eight guys, um, who has kind of been the most important to their team success in your opinion? I think there's three players who are kind of the top of this list in terms of just relevance and actual importance. So you have like Tyrese Maxey, who's the starting point guard, who's going to be an all-star and one of the best teams in the league, made a huge leap this season. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, obviously, I think he's first. They've released the all-star voting for fan votes today. He's first among Eastern Conference guards. He's having an amazing season. Um, Leads the league in assists. Just he's taken the superstar pseudo MVP candidate leap and then the other guy is De'Aaron Fox and I'll I'll actually go with De'Aaron Fox for my answer and I'll I'll say it's because the way he's improved is so fascinating to me where this guy enters the league and everyone's like oh he's super fast you know he'll hound you on defense on ball um can't shoot a lick (laughs) and Right now, he's like one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, and his volume and accuracy have just skyrocketed just from last season, where he's averaging three more attempts. His three-point rate last year was 27, so 27% of his shots came from behind the three-point line, and now it's 40. That's like absolutely ridiculous, and he's hitting 40% of his pull-up threes. He's just totally fearless in the pick and roll if if you're dropping against him and you're like worried about you know you're trying to keep him out of the paint he's like fine I'll pull up no question from 26 feet like that's cool and he's hitting it so Mm. I think that that evolution in his game is really critical I mean he's like fifth in scoring right now in the league he's like third or fourth in usage rate this is like He's not going to win the MVP, but these are MVP type numbers. And that's just so important for a Sacramento team that I feel like, you know, obviously wants to build on um, the momentum that they had from last year when they made the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. 
Yeah, and you talk about that trade, you know, the Halliburton-Sabonis trade. Everybody wants to argue who won that trade. It does feel like uh, we don't get many win-win scenarios, but in both instances, both teams have simultaneously won. Let's talk about another trade that just happened. OG Ananobi going to New York, R.J. Barrett going home to the Toronto Raptors. In your opinion, obviously, we're very early in this situation, so I don't want to put too much on this, but who won the trade so far? Obviously, OG looked great in his first appearance for the Knicks. Yeah, I'll say... I feel like this trade is really interesting in the sense that um, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop for both teams. Mm. Like, by itself, I don't think that this deal moves the needle in a significant way for either side. Like, it's cool that the Knicks have their big two-way three-point shooting wing. They actually had the worst defense in the NBA for the entire month of December, which I'm surprised Tom Thibodeau is still alive after enduring <laughs> something like that. He did um, not have so a Merry get, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no. So they get him, and that's like that's really great. But you give up Emmanuel quickly, who's this young, um, really spry uh, point guard who uh, really was the reason that your bench was able to score a lot of points. So um, every both sides are kind of giving and taking away a little bit, I feel like. And if anything, it just sort of clarifies what their next moves will be. I mean, everyone knows that the New York Knicks want to get a superstar. I think OG and Anobi um, really fits around any star in the league better than R.J. Barrett or Emmanuel Quickly. So that helps them there. They still have all their draft capital. They only gave up a second um, in this trade. And then if you're the Raptors, I feel like the writing now is on the wall for the direction they want to go with regards to Pascal Siakam, who is a free agent this summer. Um I would not be surprised at all if he is traded and they make a shift to get younger around mm. Scotty Barnes. Um, it seems like even in the trade where, you know, there was a lot of talk about getting four first round picks potentially for OG at last year's trade deadline, they obviously went in a different direction here where they actually want good, competent players with Barrett, young, good, competent players like Barrett and Quickly. So it'll be really interesting to see what they get back for Siakam if they do trade him. But I just think like more moves are on the horizon for both these teams. Neither one is really that close to, you know, the Boston's, the Philadelphia's, the Milwaukee's, even honestly the Miami's in the Eastern mm -hmm. Conference. So more steps need to be made before I can say like who's the winner or the loser here. I think that's a very fair answer. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about trade season because it is right on the horizon as we inch closer to February. We'll be right back with Michael Pina. Welcome back to Through the Ringer here with Michael Pina, and we're talking NBA trades. That's what we do. As February inches closer, everybody tries to figure out how they can upgrade their roster. How can they, you know, go to the trade machine and figure out what they need to do? Um, let's take a look at some of the teams right now that are, you know, probably, you know, going to be in the market. Let's start with the Lakers. I'm out here in Los Angeles. Um, Lakers fans are very up in arms right now. LeBron James didn't talk to the media uh, on Wednesday night, so there were some people that were very concerned about that. The record right now, 17 and 18. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. Um, there's reports from Yo Jovan Buha and a lot of guys, uh, Sham Sharania, basically saying that there's a disconnect in the locker room with Darvin Ham. What can the Lakers do? We saw them do it last year at the trade deadline. What can they do to upgrade this roster and make this team back into a contender in the Western Conference? 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a really good I, question. I, I think that's a very fair answer. You know what I mean? Just a, a nice little giggle, you know? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, they definitely need change. That's yes. for sure. And I, I, you know, that report came out today with the disconnect and um, people clearly not super pumped that Darvin Ham is just changing his starting lineup every other day. And <laughs> his quote about how... Um, it's actually harder to win when role players get hurt than stars. I think is just an all timer, and I was a big fan of it. Um, uh, LeBron and, and Anthony Davis have basically not gotten hurt this season, which is an annual tradition in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. for their net rating as a team to be just plus one point eight when those two take the floor, how well that they've played is just extremely worrisome. So I don't know what moves you could make because. You have the contracts that you re-signed in the summer. You have D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura. I suppose Austin Reeves could be in that conversation, too. I mean, he's been deemed untouchable, but I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a very good offensive player, but if you've watched him play defense this season, you know that he is not untouchable or should not mm-hmm. be untouchable for a team trying to win the championship. So they've got some contracts um, and salary, and they have a pick, so I, you know, like the player heading into this season, I thought was just destined to be on the Los Angeles Lakers was Jeremy Grant. I don't know what Portland's appetite is for that package or a package of of that ilk, um, unless Austin Reeves were involved. And I don't see Austin Reeves being involved for a player like Jeremy Grant. Um, maybe like a, a Buddy Heald could be interesting. I mean, the Lakers mm. obviously need shooting and spacing around AD and LeBron. They have a worse offense than the Washington Wizards right now, and the Wizards are barely functioning basketball team. So, yeah, like there's some names out there that can, um, I it guess... It seems like Kyle put- Kuzma wants to get traded there, right? I mean, if, if sure. you just base it on Twitter, <laughs> he seems like he's lobbying to get traded there. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like, he has, he's owed a lot of money over a lot of years, and they've been so hesitant to take on salary long-term, the Lakers. So I honestly don't... And I get, like, even there's that, and then there's just, like, what what are you what are the Wizards getting in return for Kyle Kuzma that the Lakers can give that a potential other buyer contender would want if they were interested in Kyle Kuzma, you know what I mean? So I I don't know what the Lakers do. I, I think last year was um, kind of like lightning in a bottle, and that's mm-hmm. just not a recipe for long-term success, continuously making the play-in, which they probably will do this season, if that. Um, and then going on this like really uh, difficult run to, I guess, the conference finals or the finals. Um, I, I just, I just don't see it, and I, I, I honestly didn't think that they were a contender even before the year started. I thought they had a lot of warts on how they built their roster, and I'm still anticipating LeBron or Anthony Davis getting hurt, which could just knock them out of this whole thing. Yeah, right now, I mean, they're battling with the Warriors to try to stay like in that nine ten range in that playoff range, play in range, like you said. And uh, the good news is they did win the in season tournament, so they'll have that forever. So they did hang the banner, <laughs> so that's a big win. Um, let's talk about the Suns because there's also some frustrations there. Another super team, eighteen and sixteen. Uh, more rumors and rumblings about KD's frustration about the depth of this team. Obviously, they traded a lot of their depth to get the stars there. Um, what can the Suns do, if anything? Because they do seem like they are who they are, and they're not really moves that can be made other than the buyout market right at this point yeah i mean 
they don't really have anything to trade. Like you said, mm-hmm. they gave up everything to get Kevin Durant, to get Bradley Beal. Um, like their solution is get healthy. That's really it. Um, it really it stinks to say. Um, the one thing they could potentially do is try to get like a Monte Morris or a TJ McConnell. Mm. Um, but that would require giving up, you know, someone like Grayson Allen, who has been huge for them this season um, and has played really well. So being healthy, um, like coming together with uh, building on-court chemistry with Beal, Booker, and KD, and uh, Yusuf Nurkic make more than 50% of your layups. Like these are just the, the tweaks that they can make to um, ascend and kind of be the team that they were constructed to be, which is a really legitimate championship contender. And honestly, like I still am a big believer in their ceiling. I think like at the end of the day, they can put lineups on the court that are really dangerous and unguardable, but they just haven't been healthy. So like if, if they were to, for example, we were talking about the thunder um, earlier and it's like, if the thunder were to play the Suns, the healthy Suns in the first round, I'm not like shocked at all if the Suns win that series. That's how talented they are. Um, they have so much offensive firepower. Getting stops is a different question, but I think that offensively, um, they'll be able to outscore just about anyone in a seven-game series. So I don't know what they what they do. I don't think they they can do anything but like be patient and hope everyone can be healthy at the right time. And let's see 20 games of those big three, right? I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. I need to see at least 20 games of those guys and figure out what that crunch time lineup looks like before you can really evaluate who the Suns could be. And I think you're right about their ceiling. I still think they have a pretty high ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Hawks because they're another team that everybody wants to blow up right now. They're 14 and 19. We saw them beat the Thunder a couple nights ago. That was a nice win for this team. But the Trey Young experience, um, you know, this is kind of like the second grouping that they put with him. Uh, is it time to move on? Um, is he still their guy? Like, what? What are the Atlanta Hawks trying to do long-term with this group? So the Hawks are a team that I I can't preach patience with. I I think I might have seen enough. (laughs) Um, They Awesome offense. uh, One of the worst defenses that you'll see. I don't think they don't rank last in defense because, like, the Pistons and the Hornets of the world still exist. But, like, Mm -hmm. atrocious defense. Um the way like they're they're really difficult to kind of analyze because Trey Young individually is having like a sensational season. Mm-hmm. Um, Dejounte Murray individually really good year. He's hitting thirty eight percent of his threes. I'm old enough to remember when everyone was like Dejounte Murray can't be a good pro because he can't shoot threes. Well, he's like hitting his threes now. So yeah, but when those two share the court, the Atlanta Hawks are bad. So. They have really intriguing young talent. I love Onyeka Kongwu. Mm-hmm. I love Jalen Johnson. He's like one of my favorite young players in the entire league. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he made an all-star team at some point. Like, I'm really high on Jalen Johnson. But, you know, DeAndre Hunter, um, Sadiq Bey, these are just very blah wings and have proven just like not to compliment Trey and I guess DeJounte in a way that is will result in winning basketball. Um, So, like, we talked about the Raptors earlier, and Pascal Siakam has always been just this rumored name for the Hawks. If the Hawks were trying to win, I don't know if they're going to be buyers or if they're going to be sellers. If they're trying to win, I would try to get someone like Pascal and see if that works and if he can improve Mm. your defense a little bit and diversify your offense. Um, 
but like they have so many good individual pieces, so much good talent, and it just hasn't worked. And they have like a really good coaching staff too. So they're they're just kind of confounding. I'm really looking forward. They're like they're the, they're the, they are the wild card team before the trade deadline for me in terms of are they going to buy? Are they going to sell? I think they'll definitely make some type of move. They have to because of just what we've seen so far, the product on the court. Um, if there's one thing I know for sure, they're not going to pay the luxury tax. That You can take that to the bank. But yep. everything they're just a wild card besides that. I don't know what, what to make of them. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of moves to be made as we uh, get closer to February. So there's a lot to watch, especially in Atlanta. I think those are some great points. Michael, where can we find all your work here at The Ringer? And uh, then we'll let you go enjoy uh, your weekend. Uh, the Ringer. You can find my work at The Ringer. That would be great. Go to theringer.com. It's a fantastic website. Lots of great stuff there. And uh, Tate, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you coming on the show as always. appreciate everybody tuning in. We will be back on Tuesday with Cousin Sal reacting to the national championship game and a whole lot more. We'll see you then.